spitting that stuff till you hearing that sound. Welcome to The Approach, the podcast where we explore the worlds of canyoneering and climbing while diving into the profound connection between these outdoor pursuits and the Christian faith. I'm Craig Ferguson, and today I'm joined by Matt Hutchins. Um, so yeah, Matt, welcome on. Um, if you want to talk about kind of just how you got introduced and into canyoneering and climbing and your history with them, as well as what you're doing now, you're also more than well, welcome to share your testimony and kind of how that is involved. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Creed. Really appreciate it. I've been in the outdoor industry, um, participating in canyoneering and climbing for about the past 10 years, I believe. If I'm doing my math correct. Yeah. Uh, I got into it through university school, actually. I went there and graduated from high school there. They've been, they have an awesome adventure program, at least when I went there. And uh, that's how I got into all of this uh, through that school. It's also how I, through the influence of some of the leadership there. Yeah. It's how it came about uh, my faith. I did grow up in a Christian family, but that didn't really had no influence on my life necessarily. It was a, this is my own thing. It's more of, okay, my parents are Christian. I'm going to follow suit to an extent just to make my life easier with them yeah. while I'm under their roof. And I really loved the idea of canyoning and climbing. And so when I found out about the school, I begged my parents to go there, and they sent me there. And the canyoning and climbing was getting into that was an amazing process. But more importantly, uh, the leadership there, their influence on my life, really impacted my faith. And yeah. through that, uh, I came to Christ. And that's like the process of through the school of how I came to Christ. Uh, eventually, I got to where I was working for uh, Jeff Cooper, the CEO and founder of Venture Off. He, at the time, was working at the school, and so he hired me on. At first, as just a intern for like a year, and worked off and on there for um, around eight, two years, about. Yeah. It's kind of, since it's off and on, it's hard to keep track of. But, yeah, after I graduated from there, he started Venture Off. And hired me on at Ventroff as the senior instructor. And that's been an awesome opportunity. Been learning a lot yeah. about just growing in my guiding experience for people. And it's been awesome getting to influence students in the same way that I was influenced by an adventure program, by canyoning, by climbing. Yeah. Uh, since then, I've also worked in a climbing gym as a route setter, so had grown in my climbing yeah. uh, through that, and as well as just doing a lot of canyoning and climbing on my own. Definitely. Has definitely been a lot of growing opportunities and learning opportunities through that. Uh, how long have you been senior instructor, instructor at Venture Off? So Venture Off kicked off as its own thing back in 2019. Well, I'm way off. Yeah, back in 2021. So right when it kicked off as its own program, because it used to be incorporated with the university school, when it kicked off as its own program, uh, Jeff gave me a call and asked if I wanted the position. So since 2021. Nice. Yeah, 2021 is when I went on my first trip, and that's when I was a student. I remember. I don't think I was on your first trip, though. You weren't. Uh, yeah. It was watch. It was like it was Luke and Mateo and Kay and a bunch of other those guys um but yeah you i don't i didn't meet you until i think a few weeks after yeah uh which is i think we went and we had to plan and you me and jeff had to plan a uh, adventure race for if i remember that yeah i was like here's this here's this little tiny guy you can and it's like you can really cool tiny guy come on yeah <laughs> yeah it's true <laughs> um, but yeah uh I guess we'll just get right into some of the other questions I have. Um, how has, like, specifically, obviously, in ministry, um, our faith and our passion for, for canyoning and climbing, they get to intersect a lot. Um, but 
how it, do you have any stories of how those have kind of overlapped in ways that you've been able to not only further the kingdom of God, but also like teach people things about canyoneering and climbing? Yeah. I think that the experiences that we have out in the wilderness as a group, a lot of times they draw us closer together and open up doors for the gospel to be shared. Yeah. I realize that's a very like broad answer to that question. Oh, yeah. But if I'm like trying to dive down more and think of just where that has actually come forth in a tangible way. I had a trip pretty recently where during after the day of activities we were out climbing. We were gathered around the campfire and one of the kids is for his homework, but he had to ask everyone um in the group he asked us all what trying to remember the question exactly so i'm probably paraphrasing here but it's basically like why do you believe what you believe yeah and it wasn't necessarily a trying to like his schoolwork wasn't necessarily on the christian aspect of things it was more of a psychology class or something like that philosophy class that's what it is but that definitely opened up a lot of opportunities for just great discussion and great opportunities for us as leaders to like point the students to christ and yeah but I've also had situations where it's like we're going through, everyone's exhausted from the canyon or something like that, and we that just bonds us closer together and opens doors that normally wouldn't be there. Yeah. And also helps the students put trust in us where we can be able to have that influence on them, the positive influence of Christ and the gospel. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting, yeah, because people, once they go through something very difficult, especially with someone, they are a lot more willing to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, too, like, that student, whoever it was, he did pose a very good question, like, that a lot of Christ- Christians do have to face, um, usually at unfortunate tithing. Um, I think what you were sharing about your testimony is kind of how it was, like, it becoming a Christian was more, or being a Christian was more of a cultural thing for you. It wasn't necessarily something that you believed in um, until certain points. And I think it's that, that especially for people who grow up in the church where they're introduced to the culture of Christianity and the, the, I guess, almost the religious aspect of it versus being introduced to the faith. Like, we have to face that eventually. Yeah. Which is, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah. So nice. There's, yeah, I think even, too, about the wilderness, like, Jesus, even Jesus went into the wilderness, right? Like he spent, he spent 40 days out there. And that's something that we, we like to say eventually off. Like if Jesus went in the wilderness, how much more do we? Um, because I think that there is a lot of, um, a, a lot that we can draw from those experiences, especially in the wilderness and in creation. And it's a lot more raw and you have an experience with the Lord that is almost irrelevant to something here in the city or in civilization. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's good. Um, sweet. Uh, kind of tying it in, nature often plays a significant role in bolt canyering and climbing. Um, how has spending time in these awe-inspiring outdoor environments deepened your spiritual connection or understanding of God? Yeah, I think that one, just being out and seeing the majesty of his creation that's just God showing off to the extent. I'm just showing a glimpse of like, this is how powerful I am. This is what I've done, what I've created with just a word. Mm-hmm. I think being able to canyer and climb, that puts you in situations where you're able to experience maybe different views that unless you have those skills, you're, you'll never be able to experience except looking at someone else's picture. You'll only be able to experience that through someone else's eyes. And there's a vast difference between a picture taken and your own eyes. Yeah. The beauty is so much more magnificent. Mm-hmm. So I think that having the skills to see things that very few people get to see is just more ways that you can see God's beauty than most people. So being able to get out into a deep, dark canyon or on top of a tower somewhere yeah. with magnificent views all around you that's very 
awesome way to experience God's creation. And by experiencing God's creation, we're experiencing Him. And those, the beauty that we experience should only have one effect on us, and that should be for us to praise God. Yeah. What are ways that you've seen, like, venture off, um, I guess, like, bring glory to God? Like, when someone says, like, how come venture off just isn't a good time? How would you, how would you explain that to them? Yeah. <laughs> that's a <laughs> yeah like we, we we have a lot of fun we do a lot of cool things but what's like for you and in your experience it like what separates us from another guiding company i think it kind of to an extent depends on the person a lot of people only get out of venture off what they're wanting to get out of venture off so if they're just wanting a fun time They'll only they'll walk out at fun time. If they're wanting to grow and seek God more, then we will be providing those opportunities to grow and seek God more and draw closer to Him. Mm-hmm. I think that is the general rule that I believe that God has used Ventroff in the past or experiences like Ventroff in the past to draw people who were going just for a fun time. Um, myself as an example, when I first started going to the school, I wanted to go to that school because of the adventure program. Yeah. And I want to learn how to do these things. That was my only, this is what I want. And this, I wasn't, I'm just kind of like, I don't care about Christ. I don't care about any of that other stuff. The attraction is the adventure. Yeah. And that attraction, God used that to open up the doors to him mm-hmm. in my life. So even if someone's just wanting a fun time for venture off, I still think that if God's in it, he can change their heart. And we do, we do have, on a lot of our trips, especially our summer trips, we'll have a lot of devotionals and even just time of worship. And the, ta- the worship times out there are, in my opinion, some of the best times in worship that I've had. I've been out in the wilderness, out in the middle of nowhere with people that I just suffered through a canyon with or had this awesome adventure with. Then coming back to camp and sitting around a fire singing praises to God is a totally different experience and draws us closer yeah it is it is really interesting i think venture off like has a unique opportunity as a ministry we are a lot different than a lot of other ministries especially because of all the things that we do technically whether that's climbing or canyoneering and like we have a we have extended appeal like we have something that's different than just like a normal church camp and we have it adds a certain level of depth but then we also, like, we can attract two very different demographics very easily. We can attract the people that, that want to have a good time, but then we can also attract the people that want to grow in their faith. Yeah. And when I think those two come together very nicely, which is which is always cool to see. And then what you're saying, like, the way that the community builds very quickly on trips is honestly phenomenal to watch, uh, especially on the, like, eight-day-long trips, like, usually about halfway th- through the week, I think is when I notice it. When people start to like kind of let their guard down, oh, yeah. and like, especially after going through a few canyons, it'll do hope a water day. People have a good time playing spike ball around camp and stuff. And it's all strangers sometimes, yeah. too. Yeah, and like, most of these people, most people, I think majority of the people that we take on trips are people that, are, that I've never met before, never even seen, and uh, like four nights later, there'll be some. I'll be having deep conversations with these people about their faith about what they believe about their philosophy their worldview and things that are ultimately life-changing and i think that's that is evidence of how the lord is using measure off like you were saying and i think that you're speaking your testimony i think part of my testimony too is that like that god has used measure off in my life and that's been thanks to the obedience of people like jeff cooper um, who at the time was uh, leading at the school that you who was who was leading the adventure program at the school that you wanted to go to because of the adventure program? Yeah, and then he's now leading the ministry that is that now I'm a part of. So yeah, it's pretty crazy. I also I think that those outdoor experiences uh, I've had similar outdoor experiences since then with the people who are my mentors, yeah. uh, Jeff being one of them and a couple other people. 
that I've gone out on these adventures with, and it really just opens up amazing opportunities for discipleship that they come naturally. It's not like I'm sitting down and having a, okay, we're going to meet for breakfast, and this will be our discipleship time. It's a random opportunities that you would never see coming. Mm-hmm. Um, opportunities for prayer and just I feel comfortable out there with them and it opened up to them in ways that I wouldn't necessarily always open up to them. Yeah. So even for the students, being able to be vulnerable um, with someone mm-hmm. and yeah, God just uses that and opens up doors through that. Yeah, it's a big step for a lot of people too. Mm-hmm. A, lot of, a lot of people, especially on like certain trips there's a lot of people that don't have people in their life that we can that they can talk to and we're blessed with the opportunity to be that person for them so yeah that's a great answer great conversation um so do you want to talk about the book the book yeah yeah so it's something that i've been working on with ventura um a good portion of last year is we teach a lot of classes to different students. And so I've been kind of working on creating a curriculum for those classes. And I had the rough draft, the first draft, of a book that we will hand out to the students. Uh, So I designed this and wrote this, a little bit of help on the writing side. Uh, There's still a lot of issues with this prototype. (laughs) Uh, If you notice, all the pages are like very rough cut right now. We're working on fixing that. I think there's like a blank page somewhere in here for some reason. But we decided that we'll be able to hand out to the students that we teach, even for college classes or some of our uh, junior high classes that we have. And it has just going through all the material that we teach. There's a couple things missing it, and I'm still working on adding. But I have things illustrated out, and I've been working on you with some videos that will go along and complement this book. Uh, but it'll just be a tool that we can hand out to the students to help them learn the technical aspects of canyoneering. Yeah, no, it's really it. yeah, go for it. Yeah. I've only seen... There's a lot of... It's, it's a very rough draft. Yeah. So, but you've only seen the PDF version. Yeah, I always see random PDFs here and there. <laughs> yeah, so that is our canyoneering one. Uh, I also have a much shorter one on first aid stuff. We also provide a wilderness first aid class. And then I have another one that is on the climbing aspect. The climbing aspect one has a lot of overlap with canyoneering. Yeah. A lot of the knots are the same but it just offers a little bit more. Uh, eventually, I want to get actual, like, a reprint of that here at the at Springs Church, but I want to get professionally printed eventually. And yeah. We're just kind of testing out the size and font and everything. Yeah, for sure. So. Yeah, we took a lot of these pictures. Too. Yeah. yeah. That back picture, actually, uh, is, that was me back when I first started canyoneering. That, that's, yeah, that's you. Yeah, that's me. I was probably 14 years old there. Jeez. So. Little Matt. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is great, especially because something like this really doesn't exist in the community community at all. Yeah. It's still a very small, very niche community, kind of like what you were saying earlier, and it's like, I think to be able to create something like this, mm-hmm. I think the community can um, really benefit from. Uh, yeah, it talks about knots and gear, canyon safety, canyon beta, uh, anchors, canyon rescues. Yeah. I'm planning on adding more. This will kind of just be for first-year students, mostly. Uh, Once we get up and rolling and get kind of a consistent uh, curriculum for each class, this one's geared towards entry level. Yeah, so. Nice. Yeah, this looks great. Thank you. That's cool. It's a lot of work. <laughs> how would you, like, how would you describe the whole process? Like, did you go smoothly? What were some of the challenges that you faced? Uh, biggest challenge I faced was just sticking with it and not getting distracted by other work things or it's kind of just a staying motivated challenge. All the information that's in there is out there. Like, you can find all the information that's in that book if, first, you're, yeah. if you search the right things online. Sure. But also searching the right things online is a very, can be a very dangerous thing mm-hmm. if you don't know what you're searching for. That's true. 
So I've tried to put ideas in there and concepts in there that are approved or have been tested. And it's like, yep, this is a, this knot will hold. Yeah. Uh, it'll be, it'll hold more than you'll ever put on it in a canyon. And not just a, this should hold, this should be fine. But actually, I think this is an awesome tool because it's one place that you can go to and have all these different items that you can use towards canyoneering. And eventually, once we get the videos finished that we've been working on, I want to print the QR codes inside the book, and you can just take your phone. If the images I have in there don't explain how to tie the knot well enough, you can take your phone and scan it. It'll lead you to our YouTube page where we'll have actual demonstrations talking through how to tie the knots. Yeah. Mm. And also, like, the knot or the videos will also add a whole lot to the canyon community because we use a lot of different knots than climbers will typically use and a lot when people are looking for a knot that they could use in a certain situation they don't know the name of the knot they don't know that into knot that you use in canyoneering um so yeah sounds great what was i gonna ask um i think rock on <laughs> but <coughs> do you have it I noticed um, like emergency situations within there. Do you have any stories about rescues or emergencies? Uh, on the most recent trip that I was on, we had someone get their hair stuck in their lay device. It's a 175 foot rappel, and they're about 20 feet off the ground, and in a tree though. So there's like branches all around them, and their hair got sucked into their blade device, and they're out there like help, help, like, freaked out a little bit. And so I was below them, and I had to send up and get their weight out off the friction device, and that allowed me to get the rope out, but the hair was so stuck in there, it was almost, like, braided to the rope. So I still ended up having to give her, the girl, a little bit of a haircut when she <laughs> off the deck. But once you're down, I saved enough hair that you can't tell that she had a haircut. So, but I have given someone a haircut now. Nice. You honor her on repels, yeah. 20 feet off the ground, dangling by a rope, the size of my finger, yeah. <laughs> uh, I've also had a couple situations where people have gotten stuck in a canyon. Um, a lot of the emergencies that you come across to, if you know what to do, they're not super dangerous. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen any serious injury in a canyon. Uh, I'm trained to have my wilderness first responder certification stuff. All the things I've seen in the canyon, for the most part, have been very minor. Yeah. Uh, the most common thing that I see is a sprained ankle. But with all the emergencies, for the most part, if you just stay calm and process through it, think through it, that's the hardest part of dealing with one of those rescue situations or emergencies yeah. is just staying calm and using your brain. And I did... I could have rescued her slightly faster if I thought through the process slightly more. So it was a learning experience for me too. Sure. But she stayed safe the whole time, got down safe, had a happy rest of the trip. Yeah. She even loved that canyon. She, we asked her at the end of the trip, like, what was your favorite canyon? She's like, that one. What so, side was it? Uh, it was Mindbender in Robber's Roost. So it's a super pretty canyon. Last Rappel is amazing. For some reason, it feels like way higher than it is. You're standing up there, and it's like, I, I think it's because of the trees below. You're looking down on all these trees, and it's just like a... Can you see the ground? In, or you can see the ground. There's like a pool at the bottom, kind of, and it's mostly mud, just because of the time of year that we went through. Yeah. But you can see that it, it is a weird feeling on that rappel, just how, at least for me, it felt really big. Yeah. Even though I'm like, yeah, I've done bigger repels than this. Sure. And I was like, oh, this is, oh, that is a perspective thing or. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Um, what is, I, this came to mind for some reason, but like, I know for me, when people get stuck, if I'm trying to help them, the worst thing is when they smell bad. It's like, <laughs> I know we're camping and I know we're out here, but it's like, sometimes the odor goes a long <laughs> I have a really bad nose, 
for the most part, which is probably a blessing. Uh, I have not, I've seen people like, oh, they're panicking or something like that. They're dripping sweat. They're just like freaking out a little bit. And I've never smelt anything. So I've been lucky on that end. Because even, even, especially as guides, like, if somebody can't um, get through a canyon, it's our job to, to hand them, give them a hand, give them a foot. Um, sometimes they're literally using us as old. Yeah. Uh, they're stepping on us. Yeah, <laughs> We're getting walked all over. <laughs> and then you just get a whiff and you're like, wow. What? Actually, I did go to uh, school with someone who, <laughs> it was like a known thing that we need to get this guy some deodorant. <laughs> it's like, I get it. Like, I probably sold that too. Like, we're, we're camping. Like, nobody's showering. But it's like... Use if, deodorant. If the, if the wind blows and I can smell you, like, I, it, even if I'm far away from you and just, like, the wind blows through the canyon... Are you trying to give me a hint? <laughs> no, yeah, okay, just making sure. <laughs> I'm not. Um, sweet. Uh, what are other notable canyons... That you would let you would suggest to people who want to get into canyoneering, or maybe just cool canyons that you like or appreciate. Um, doesn't have to be in a specific area or a specific skill level. But whatever you're yeah, if you're wanting skins canyoneering, it's definitely I would highly recommend going with someone who has experience in yeah. canyoneering. A lot of the instances that you hear, either like online or something like that, is because the people leading the group are not experienced enough, whether that just be probably the most like common uh, rescue situation in canyoneering is a navigation issue and people yeah. either drop into the wrong canyon or just get lost out there. And there's been like quite a few rescues because of that. So make sure you go with someone who knows, preferably who has done the canyon before mm-hmm. and who knows what they're doing going through that canyon. But as far as recommendation goes, some of Vendroff's favorite canyons to guide. Uh, we do what's called the Blarney Loop, so it's going up one fork of Blarney, down the other, and then in that same area, so that's all in, it's in the North Wash. In that same area, there's Hogwarts, which is a super beautiful canyon, has an amazing, beautiful arch in the middle of it. And those are very, we like those canyons because they're easy for us to guide, and they're great for first-timers it gives them a good mixture of experience through different canyons different styles of canyoneering yeah Yeah. some of my favorite though um in zion national park there's a canyon called pine creek that is super beautiful have you done that one yet yeah oh yeah i remember that i have a picture of that (laughs) and so like who is this kid (laughs) uh that's in my opinion, one of the most beautiful canyons I've been in. Yeah. And I think it is the second canyon that I've ever done. And so it, was, it has like a special first day of canyoning. We did that canyon. I was like, I love this. This is so awesome. Yeah. That's the canyon where I knew that I was going to be doing canyoning for a while. And I was like, this is cool. Like, I want to get into this. That's awesome. So it has like a special place in my heart. Uh, and I think just my favorite canyon that I've done is Santrax. Yeah, in the North Wash, and the probably the hardest canyon in the North Wash area. I think Utah definitely has some harder canyons. I just I love the challenge of it though, and I think I built up the challenge a little bit too much in my mind. So I'm excited to go out and try canyons that are even harder than that. Yeah, but it was just beautiful. We had a very small, awesome crew. Of just it's just that's a canyon that we don't guide. Um, yeah. <laughs> it'd be a dangerous canyon to guide so it's just me and a couple co-workers and yeah it was a amazing experience and it was nice not having to worry about anyone's safety is kind of everyone is fully capable of yeah. keeping themselves safe and so it's just a we did at the end of the trip is like yep staff go through this and like kind of relax enjoy canyoning it's fun since we guide a lot of the same canyons over and over, it's fun to sometimes get to be out and realize why you fell in love with canyoning by doing canyons that we don't do as much. Because a lot of times I feel like as guides, we running the same canyons over and over again. 
it starts to almost feel like a job, which right now my job doesn't feel like a job. Yeah. Uh, guiding it is an amazing opportunity for me to show to others what has been shown to me to pass on like, Hey, this has had this impact on my life. I hope this has impact the same impact on your life. Yeah. And it's made the opportunity to pass that down. But sometimes I think just the repetitive um, nature of doing the same canyons mm-hmm. a lot, we start to almost get used to it. It's unfortunate that we almost get used to it. But every once in a while getting out and just doing the canyons that we don't guide is very refreshing and all the springs back that, oh, this is amazing. This is so beautiful out here. This is awesome that God created this crack in the earth that we get to explore. He just drop into. Yeah. So and he did that just because he can. Yeah. To show off his power. Yeah. It's crazy. Talk to me about the trifecta. The trifecta. So that is a challenge that I've been wanting to do for quite a while. And no one, to my knowledge, has ever completed the challenge in under 24 hours. Yeah. The record... Last day I looked up, like, the only record that I could find was a little bit over 25 hours. But the trifecta is in Zion National Park, and it's Zion's three biggest canyons. So they have Heaps, Imlay, and Kolob. It's trying to do all three of those canyons in under 24 hours. Um, I haven't yet done any of those canyons. I'm really hoping to do them all individually later this year and just figure out, like, what the challenge entails and then I want to give a run at them to complete them all in under 24 hours. It's my hopes and dreams. <laughs> and, like, if you could, is it, is it, like, 24 divided by 3? Like, exactly, like, if each one is rated about 8 hours, or is it, is one, like, crazy long, like, or another shorter? Like, how would you divvy up that time? Yeah, so... They're all a little bit different. Heaps is the biggest one, and if I remember correctly, it's a 12 to 14-hour day. Some people actually have spent two days in that canyon, yeah, um, in just that one canyon. It has over 40 rappels, I believe. Um, one of the rappels is a massive... I forget whether this is Heaps or Light, but one of the rappels is a massive 300-foot drop that's mostly free-hanging. Yeah. And you drop right into the narrows of uh, of Zion. Well, I just forgot the name of the place. <laughs> uh, are you looking up the beta? Yeah. Um, yeah. Is it on Richard Bryan? For the, the trifecta? Uh, no, not the trifecta, but. Uh, I, Heaps. Is it H E A P S? H E A P S, yeah. Heaps Canyon, Zion May Canyon. Heaps is a 4BR5. Uh, 4BRV, yeah. 14 plus hours, two days. Yep, 14 plus. Uh, That's standard tactical gear, 18 plus, 296 PSL on the That's, yeah, that's crazy. So part of the difficulty with that challenge, too, is it has a lot of pothole escapes yeah. in it, so it's very dependent on water levels. Each of the three canyons are dependent on water levels. And one of the canyons is actually fed by a dam that they'll occasionally release the dam. So you have to be checking (laughs) on when the release dates are for that to make sure the canyon doesn't flood. Um, And then you want, if the water's too low, the canyon's quite a bit harder. If it's completely full, it's going to be quite a bit easier to get through the canyon. Yeah. But, oh, it's interesting too because a lot of people think that like, when people think of, like, their fears when it comes to canyoning, it's usually involving getting stuck or heights. Mm-hmm. But realistically, like, flash floods will pose far more of a threat than anybody's life. The majority of the deaths in canyoning has been from flash floods. Yeah. Um, which people just don't think about, which is unfortunate. Uh, it's been in easy canyons. that. Yeah. So the very first canyon that I ever did is called Keyhole. Mm-hmm. And I believe that that canyon has the highest death count because... People don't check the weather, or people. There was a group of twelve that got caught in a flash flood in that canyon, and before they went into that canyon, the park ranger is telling them like, "Don't go canyoning today. Flash flood risk is way too high," and they didn't listen. Jeez. 
So a lot of things, weather is the most dangerous part of Canyon. Yeah, for sure. And like, and it's also a lot different than climbing too, because I think, I think when, at least when I've been climbing outdoor and it starts raining, you get off the wall. Yeah. Um, but when you're, when you're in a Canyon, you have to find an exit and you have to, sometimes you have to go down Canyon for, for however long, could be a mile, could be like, could just be around the corner, but then you have to find an exit. You need to, especially when you're guiding, you have to get people out. We've had a few, um, run-ins with weather, nothing crazy, but like when we start, obviously when it starts raining as guides, our first responsibility is to find an exit. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just weird the way that people don't think about that. And they also, even when you tell them, they don't, they don't realize it. And then what, sometimes some kids are like, why are we getting out? Like, is it Cody? But yeah, the trifecta stuff, how, what would, like, um, like, how would you plan for something like that? Because obviously, like, there's a lot of dependence, um, because you have to hit all the canyons at the right time, you have to, it's based off weather, it's based off, like you said, the dam, it's, uh, getting into the park, permits, and permits yeah. for all three canyons, and then also, like, doing it under 24 hours, um, which is on a suit. I don't know how you would do that in your day. If you would do it at sunset or if you would wake up while it's still dark and wholly drop in at sunset or sunrise, sorry, um, or sunset. But how would you, how would you go about that? So far, the plan that I have had, and these are just ideas I'm still throwing around, is one as far as safety goes, I think it'd be a good idea to have pacers, almost like marathon runners. They have someone that partway through like a big run, not necessarily a marathon, but some sort of ultra run or something. Yeah. They have someone that will join them on the run who's fresh and will help them keep up the pace, basically. So almost picking people that will only do one of the canyons with me, mostly to make sure that, oh, I'm exhausted. I'm not going to make a stupid mistake yeah. and uh, kill myself because I think that's going to be the hardest part is the exhaustion. Yeah, especially on over probably you're doing over 100 that day yeah so and a lot of swimming and yeah so so carrying a lot of weight on your back too so having yeah. people there fresh self-carry that weight there's part of me it's like oh i want to earn it i want to do it all myself but at first i want to i need to go to through the canes myself and see yeah. okay here's what the challenge is mm -hmm. here's what all it entails because right now it's more of just a it feels like a far off idea because I haven't done the canyons yeah but it's a goal for me to work to yeah and I think it's good just having goals in life to try and keep you pushing forward to keep you growing yeah so the biggest part of the plan I think is finding the people to help you help support you also people to once you get out of the canyon get to the car yeah. drive the car to the next canyon and let you start again uh, there's also one of the canyons requires you to use the Zion National Park shuttle. So that would probably influence like the timing of when we start that one. Yeah. So that one's the one that we want to do second. So that also, it's not like we can just start it whenever we know the shuttle is going to be running. It's got to try and time to get to the shuttle at the right time. So I think starting in the dark would be like maybe right at sunset mm -hmm. would be the easiest. That way when you're most tired it'll probably be daylight out yeah and when you're most exhausted you'll have something giving you energy so you would start at the at night when at sunset so i'm not 100 sure because i had to look and figure out when the shuttles are working but in my mind just thinking it through i'm like starting a little bit before sunset mm -hmm. maybe it's oh i did the approach before sunset and i tried to time it where i get to yeah. the canyon by sunset yeah and i'm doing the canyon just to make that in the darker yeah so actually the last group the group that has a record right now mm -hmm. or last i checked they had a record they on the last canyon they got lost jeez and it took them quite a while to figure out where to go and so they might have been able to do it in under 24 hours if they didn't get lost i think yeah. they were pretty close so and is heaps the longest heaps is the longest one yeah has the most repels inlay is also uh, has quite a few repels and tricky pothole escapes as well. And then collab, I don't know personally anyone who has done collab. People have done it. It's out there. Yeah. 
I haven't talked with anyone, but from what I hear, just reading online, it's supposed to be the easiest of the three. So I'd probably save that one to last. Try and knock out the hardest one first. You interested in joining? I, w- I am. You are interested in yeah. joining. Uh, it's going to be a lot of cardio. Plus, <laughs> like a lot of cardio. 24 hours straight, too. Yeah. <laughs> it's basically it's basically triathlon. Mm-hmm. Like, especially you're you're hiking for miles with a heavy pack. Then you're rappelling. You're doing pothole escapes. You're doing, like, canyon earrings, I think, and then you're also swimming. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Almost like a... Or- yeah, triathlon. You said it. What is something that you would like compare this to? Like this is the blank of blank. You know, kind of like, yeah, yeah. So in climbing, there's the Yosemite trifecta, which is the three biggest walls in Yosemite in a day. This would be, in my opinion, the canyoning version of that. Yeah. So it's, I mean. For the climbers, they're climbing El Cap, so they're climbing Half Dome, and oh, I forget the last, but the third biggest. It's the Yosemite trifecta. Mm-hmm. But for them, it's over 6,000 feet of climbing in under 24 hours. So, in my opinion, this is the equivalent to that. Uh, the fact that it hasn't been done yet, I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. Canyoning is still a new sport where I feel like there's a lot of low hanging fruit if you want to try and set a record of some sort. And I think that would be cool to try and almost the competitive side. I'm a very competitive person. Yeah. So part of me wants to take some canyoning things and be like, hey, like, here's my best time on it. Like, happily put them out there and be like, someone try and meet me because I feel like that's how we, that's how we grow. Yeah. Is if I have someone to compete with, so yeah, and that I think it's it's interesting too. Like I think climbing also has the same aspect. Like a lot of people do take it very casually, and like they don't care so much about getting better. It's more like a relaxing thing that they do on their weekend. Yeah, they'll go to the climbing gym or they'll go outdoors. Um, and I think the same thing for canyoning. I think the people outside of of our guiding community don't take canyoneering crazy seriously like it's very it's very recreational um and i found the the third it's mount watkins mount watkins yeah el cap and half dome yep and yosemite's triple crown triple crown not trifecta yeah yeah trifecta is cool too i think i think it sounds the canyoneering trifecta would be better yeah um it was probably called Alex Hummel. Yeah. It is. Yeah. So I think the canyon trifecta will be harder to get within the time limit. Um, I don't know. I haven't climbed any of those walls yeah. or done any of these canyons. It's just the fact that, oh, the best team that's done it has done it in around 25 hours. And it, it, is the, is it, how would I find those guys that, I think if you search Kenny, uh, Zion Trifecta, Kenyering, mm-hmm. it should pop up. And they wrote like a blog post about their experience doing that. Could be wrong. How did you hear about these guys? I heard about them so long ago. I, I don't remember, honestly. Are you finding it? I think so. It's called the Zion Trifecta. It's a in a book called Canyon Pales. Yeah. And it's for 2009. Yep. Trifecta training. Uh, wow. This is... Does it have their... I think at the very bottom it has their time. If I remember correct. It's been like over a year since I read it. Here that. we go. Um, Jared Campbell, Ryan McDermott, and Buzz Burrell on June 27th and the 28th of 2009. They started uh, Emle. So they started on Emle. So, and then they did a hour long approach. Maybe. There's something after it that says 3 a.m. So Lava Point t- Trailhead, yeah. 3 a.m. And then I don't know if this is a timestamp, like how long it took them, or if it's a 
of the actual climate. It looks like the actual climate today. So they arrive at the first rebel at one o'clock. It looks like timestamp. Yeah, yeah. Because it's it's at three a.m. They wouldn't arrive at the first rebel at one o'clock. I don't know if the three a.m. thing is. Um, but yeah, then five thirty last rap in the Virgin River, and then they get out of MLA at six thirty. Then they drive a car to Heaps. They start the the approach to Heaps at seven o'clock, and they get out at two thirty, which crazy <laughs> fast. That's like eight and nine. Where's seven? I yeah, for Fort Snarrow Canyon. Yeah. <laughs> 14 plus hour canyon. Um, no, yeah, seven and a half. Uh, and then they drive up, up the trail, they leave cart, then they get in coal up. And they, they finish. So coal up took them longer. And mm-hmm. coal up took them almost nine hours. I think it's because they got lost, though. So there's an article yeah. in there somewhere about that. Utterly lost. <laughs> utterly lost. <laughs> he was lost over, lose over two hours. Yeah, so they got out of their car. 25 hours. Kolob is supposed to be the trickiest as far as navigation goes. Really? So why is that? It's just not as well marked of a trailhead. It's kind of the least popular as a three. Mm-hmm. So heaps in them layer more like Oh, this is like the crowning jewel, like the um, the standard of what I'm trying to yeah. do. And then co-ops, it's like, oh, here's the third big canyon that is kind of just a, I don't want to say add-on, but at least in my opinion, that's what. Sure. It just is a bit of a subsequent mm-hmm. kind of. With it being less popular of a canyon. Yes. Yeah. Not as well-traveled. I think any canyon compared to Amelian and Heaps is gonna kind of fall in their shadow mm-hmm. away. Um, but yeah, Zion trifecta, 25 hours, three minutes, Emily Heaps go up. And there's the Zion yeah. double too. Which is Emily and Heaps? Yeah. Yeah. If you're gonna do it, go all the way. That's <laughs> true. Trifecta. Who cares about the double? Hey. So you would do all those in 24 hours. It's the hope. Yeah. The. It, do you think that these guys did collab before? I would assume they did. Right. Yeah, so later, or earlier in that article, talks about them doing all the canyons separately, like on a previous trip, to just kind of make sure that they had a plan for everything. Sure. Uh, there's training involved. Like I'm, I've been working on building up my cardio, yeah. trying to get in better endurance, and yeah. building up for preparation for that. I think... Later this year, um, once work slows down a little bit, I'm going to try going out to Utah and just knocking out a bunch of canyons, uh, just getting in. Just reps. Not, not necessarily reps, but a high quantity of canyons yeah. in as little amount of time as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, just to push myself and see. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not necessarily going to be like, oh, I'm going to try and like set a record on skiing because there's no info out there on these are what time records are. At least I wasn't able to find any info. But I'm hoping to try and start up just like a Facebook page and just say like, hey, like, this is me just posting what my time was. I was trying to move faster through this canyon. Yeah. Um, and then just start like different canyons have different ones. Yeah. And people can start trying to trim down time and see how, how quickly they can do a canyon. And it has a competitive aspect that mm-hmm. bring, I mean, brings a lot more people to especially competitive people to the sport. Yeah. And ultimately, like, I think... Makes it more of a sport. Yeah. So. And I think competitive people, I think once they start pushing the boundaries of what king earring is and when king earring can develop, it's like bigger than it already is. Yeah. It's also crazy that this article is from... 2009. Which king earring is already a very young sport. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fairly unknown. Um but the fact that these guys were doing what they did in 2009 with probably probably using climbing gear. Yeah. Um, so. They might have had static ropes. Yeah. Talk to you about the difference. Like, for people who don't know what the difference between static ropes and 
Yeah, so in climbing, we want to make sure that we use a, a dynamic rope. So whenever we take a... In climbing, you fall a lot, right? <laughs> so I've taken... The biggest fall I've taken is 30 feet, which is not anything cute for a sport climber. Uh, there's videos online of like professional climbers taking 100-foot falls, yeah. and the rope catches them. They're safe because that rope stretches and absorbs all the shock. Yeah. If the rope didn't stretch, you'd break your back. Yeah. It'd be like falling on a steel cable. So we want to use those ropes for climbing, just for safety issues. And then a static rope is one that doesn't stretch. So a lot of times in climbing, those are still used, but they're used for if you're doing massive climbing, you need to haul your gear up yeah. behind you. Uh, static ropes are great for that. Yeah. And then at canyon, we have there's static ropes, but they're made specifically for canyon. So canyon is like taking your gear and rubbing it with sandpaper. You're sliding this gear down to two sandpaper walls. Yeah. Especially in Utah, where it's everything's sandstone out there, it's just very abrasive on all your gear. So for canyon ropes, we use it's very burly, well, not necessarily burly. A lot of them are pretty thin, but they're just durable ropes that will last us for a while and they're static because we never you shouldn't take a fall on the canyon rope you should never put yourself in a situation yeah. where you can fall like that yeah yeah that's pretty what you're saying about the about gear and getting asked to destroy like the livers pretty like to, to baby their gear and yeah <laughs> but our gear is it's scratched up and stuff yeah. but that's part of my job is just making sure that it's still safe for what we do because we do definitely abuse our gear to an extent. Um, yeah. Yeah. And like it is, the environment is unyielding on our, our ropes, on the harnesses, especially in slot canes, super tight. You have both sides of the earth on the side of you. <laughs> and you're just squeezing through there with your harness on, with carabiners on. And yeah. Just, you see. Marks of people's carabiners in the wall. Scratching the walls, yeah. That's when you know it's tight. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what? If it's super tight, I pull my hardest off. Yeah, most of the time, on if I know the can's going to be super tight, I will take my hardest off. Yeah. I've been on certain trips right there and bring a harness, and I just make a webbing harness. Yeah. Uh, if it's like, oh, this canyon only has one rappel, and then the rest of it, you're just sliding along the canyon. I'll just grab some webbing and take that through. Uh, most time, if I'm guiding, I don't think that really looks too professional. So I'd, <laughs> I've only done that yeah. if I'm not guiding. But and looking professional is a big part of guiding too, especially because people who don't know a lot about the mechanics of how things mm -hmm. work or what we're doing, they're relying a lot of on to them how things look. Yeah, and values serve them well or serve them poorly. But if they see, like, that their heart is is like, ragged, yeah. <laughs> Even if it's a it's, it's if it's a well built harness, it it can get a little mm -hmm. torn up, and still be safe. But when they see that, they think, oh, it's unsafe. And even people who look at the rope, they'll fear no way that'll hold me. Yeah, what it will hold that more than they'll ever weigh. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of weird. But I think we're gonna take a quick break. Sounds good. Sweet. All right. And we're back. Still here with Matt Hutchins. Um, yeah. Hoping we kind of shift, shift gears a bit. Um, tell us about a particularly memorable Kenya climbing trip that you went on. Um, and if it had any profound impact on your faith, um, and what made it so special. Ooh. Yeah. So. I have been on a couple trips that are just me, like, going out by myself. I think those trips have been the most... Something about being isolated in the wilderness Yeah, is a... It's impactful in the way of... Those have been the times I've drawn the closest to God. Yeah. On trips and stuff. So the downside to that is you're not... Yes, you're drawing the closest to God, but you're also not... He's pouring into you. I don't think you should just be being poured into you should also be poured into others yeah so that trip has been impactful but there's also been trips where it's I feel like I served others well on these trips I feel like I have poured into others well mm -hmm. and I talked about it a little bit but uh, a recent trip that I went on where 
the students were we just had a really good time around the fire a lot of good discussions those are in my opinion a lot of what makes trips like yeah these are good the most memorable trips for me though are the ones where it's like that was a rough trip things were going wrong all over the place um whether it be vehicles breaking down or just having issues on the rough dirt roads or someone getting stuck like me having to get some a haircut that's those are the things that it sucks when you're in them and you're like, oh, this is horrible, but they make the best stories afterwards and you enjoy them the most. Yeah. So it's the smooth trips are the ones that you forget the quickest. Yeah. Whereas the trips where it's, yeah, I suffered with this person on that. Do you remember when that happened? And like we were suffering together. Those are the ones that you recount for a longer period of time. Yeah. So I never want something to go wrong on a trip, but when it does, it, makes the trip memorable yeah so i think it even serves as a metaphor almost like god does use broken people and Mm -hmm. just like he can use broken people when things don't go how we how we want them to go on trips god still takes advantage of that no definitely the most gross i've seen for myself on trips have been the rough roughest trips and I think in my life the most growth I've seen in myself has been when I'm at the roughest points in my life sure. and it's almost encouraging that whenever you're in one of those rough points in life you can be like okay this is rough I hate this right now but God is definitely moving God is he's with me even when my life seems like it's falling apart or when I'm going through what seems like hell on earth sure God's with me through the valleys. He's he's with me in the canyons. I'm having a rough time. Sounds cliche-ish, but... Yeah. yeah. That's good. I would take... I wouldn't have a trip yet that I'd be like, that'd be horrible to repeat. Like, I don't necessarily want some of the things that have happened on trips that have just been rough. I don't want the van to break down in the middle of nowhere. But those trips are... Even when the van is broken down, I have good memories of the people that I was with when that happened. And... I wouldn't trade those memories for anything. Yeah. Wow. Um, obviously, like, in the outdoors and in wilderness, we we get to experience the beauty of creation. Uh, and how do you use the responsibility of stewardship, conservation, and, like, environmental just awareness, like, leave no trace? Uh how do you see that like aligning ultimately with our faith um but then also just like with our responsibility as guides yeah with our responsibility as guides i think it's very important um to one teach people to treat the outdoors with respect like i don't want to lead a group out there that leaves a bunch of trash in the canyon and then later on be leading another group out there in that trash being there if I don't want that, I don't want someone else to experience that either. I don't want someone else to come through a canyon that, oh, we had a student mark on the walls yeah. because that. I also think having someone mark something like, Jesus loves you on a wall or something, yeah. that is not a good um, representation of Christianity. That's, I am graffitiing this wall. I'm doing something that is wrong that even though what I'm saying is true. So... I think as a Christian company, we should try and um, show respect to God's creation. We should try and, what's the word that you use in the question of? Conserve stewardship. Stewardship, yeah. We should try and have good stewardship of the gifts that he's given us. Yeah. And we want to make, th- I personally love it when I'm going through a canyon that even though I, a lot of times, or I haven't done a canyon yet that hasn't been done. So other people have been in that canyon before me. But it's really cool when you go through a canyon and there's no sign of any other human ever being out there. And it just gives you a way more isolated feel, which is an amazing feeling. So I want to preserve that feeling for others whenever they go through the canyons and be able to give others that same feeling. Definitely. And I don't want there to be, because a lot of the restrictions that are in place right now with things out there are they're in place because people have been bad stewardships. Yeah. And they're in place for good reasons. 
I hate that they're in place sometimes. It's just on that group size, there's certain times that we have to think about like, oh, we can't bring a group this big into this area. And that's because people have not been good stewards of the area. So it's, I understand why it's there. I hate that it's there. And I don't want to be the cause of more restrictions yeah. ever being placed. So. How would you describe your interactions with either the BLM or with Rangers? Yeah, I haven't had too many. Most of my interactions with Rangers have actually been climbing. But all the interactions have been super good. Um, they are super kind for the most part. I've never, I've never had a bad interaction where they weren't kind or anything like that. A lot of times, it's I'm almost scared that they're gonna find something that I'm doing that is not up to code. But a lot of times, I'm like overthinking the interaction, and they're super. They've been super respectful. Just ask a bunch of questions usually. Um, I think a lot of it is they're wanting to know that you know what you're doing to an extent and aren't going to hurt yourself. And even though they might not know what you're doing, it's other times I've just talked with them with, yeah, like with confidence basically. Yeah. Been like, all right, you're cool. You're, you're not going to get someone killed yeah. doing what you're doing. So they're out to protect the land and to protect you. So That's good. How would you describe your interactions with other either canyoneers or guiding companies, how does that usually play out? Oh, that was a little hard. Uh, everyone thinks that their way is the only way, and there's a lot of different ways to canyoneer safely. And there's methods that are out there that I haven't seen before that are perfectly safe. So there's a lot of people that have, I've heard people like behind my back talking crap about the way that I do something. But it's a safe way it's been tested they just do it different so uh, for the most part all my interactions have been good i'm not sure what they say about us as a group behind our backs or anything like that if there's any sort of our way's better but yeah it's just people being people kind of yeah and it's interesting too because people a lot of what we do like we have to deal with far bigger groups than most guy and companies ever imagined dealing with um and we also have a far different approach to how we guide yeah a lot of people do and so a lot of what we do is tailored to how we guide and a lot most of most companies also don't focus on teaching students or people on trips as much as we do um which is interesting but then other the other thing too is like are there any like is it what canyon etiquette when interacting with other people on the canyons and like whether it's a bigger or smaller group like who, who goes first like how, what is it that you want people to know when interacting with other canyoners in a canyon yeah really quickly going back a little because mm -hmm. the question just reminded me of interactions with yeah. people i think a lot of times they see how big of a group we have and they we're pretty efficient in canyons sure i might be bragging but I feel like we move. Oh, yeah. Especially for the size of groups that we take. So a lot of times people see our group and they're like, oh, my gosh, why is, why are these people out here yeah. in this, like, especially in this big of a group? And at first they might be just frustrated with that. And I've had a lot of times where it's like they're, they're feeling like they're going to be stuck behind us forever and that we never see them again because we are moving efficiently. And that's with the big difference is we're not really a guiding company. We're, a, as you said, an instructional institute. So we're teaching the students to be, to do this themselves. Mm -hmm. And that's a big spot where we differentiate from most com companies. So since the students are like, they're not professionals or anything like that, but a lot of them know a decent amount of what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, especially our higher, um, higher up classes or more advanced classes. Uh, the trip that I was on recently is for the m a good portion of the trip is I'm there just to make sure you don't make a mistake but yeah. they're doing most of the work so since they know their stuff to an extent they move efficiently yeah. more efficient than most groups of that, that size would move yeah I think that's usually our goal on trip yeah. is to push the students not only when we're leading them, but have them lead themselves. Usually at the end of the trip, we'll do a day. We'll we'll pick a few students, 
who have leadership capabilities all say, wow, you leave the canyon today. Obviously, ask us and we'll be there. We'll be we'll do the canyon with you. But you're going to be setting up the repels. You're going to be building anchors. You're going to be you're going to be manning it. We're going to be manning it with you. But we do try to create um, a learning environment, which a lot of other guiding companies don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that speaks a lot to how we are focused on growing people, whether that's in their faith or in their ability. So, yeah. yeah. As far as uh, you're asking the canyon courtesy or yeah. canyon etiquette, mm-hmm. yeah, I think right off the bat, kind of there, your thought process, if you run into like another group, is should be the smaller group goes first mm-hmm. and that group pass you. But I have had I have had a group of fourteen people, or I'm estimating there, stuck behind a group of two, yeah. and we kept running into that same group of two. Um, this might just be me if I was that group of two, and there was a group of fourteen that was right, like waiting on me at every single repel, yeah. like quite a bit of time. I'm like, okay, this group knows what they're doing; they're moving fast. We should let them pass. Yeah, and I think that would be good etiquette. I have had smaller groups say, like, oh, we're really fast. Like, can we pass you? And I let them pass, and then I'm waiting on them. Um, so I think you should, for the most part, if you come up on a group that's in front of you, definitely you should try and wait for them to invite you to pass. Hopefully they do. If you're sitting there waiting for every repel, I think it's a good idea to ask them if you can. Kindly ask them. If yeah. you can pass them, then, yeah. But for the most part, if it's a smaller group than us, I'm like, yep. Like, you should pass us. You'll move faster. It'll save you time. We're only going to be holding you back. And, yeah, you might put us a couple minutes behind time. But, yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Well, um, is there anything else that you want to say? Well, I'm an introvert. I've already talked too much. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Well, Thank you. Thanks for coming on. And thanks for having me. Yeah. I'm honored to be your first uh, guest on the show. The guinea pig. The guinea pig, yeah. But, yeah, if you um, are interested in learning about Venture Off as an organization or interested in supporting Venture Off, we are a nonprofit. And you can check us out at ventureoff.org. Other than that, thanks for listening. And... I'll raise your day. Hitting that stuff, you hear that sound?